for uh, introducing us to um, our verses today from Romans 12, 9, and 10. Love must be sincere. So Paul, after uh, a long dissertation about salvation, how to get saved, about uh, the consequence of sin and the grace of God, he turns to some practical instructions about uh, how to love. So uh, he starts off in uh, Romans 12, 9, and 10 with uh, this idea that love must be sincere. So let's, let's uh, read those verses again. Uh, Romans 12, 9, and 10, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay? So let's just read it one more time so we can have an opportunity to think about it a little bit. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So these are instructions on how to love. So if you want to be uh, uh, loving the way that God wants to teach us how to love, then uh, this is Paul's instructions for us on love. So he starts with, uh, love must be sincere. So what does that mean, that love must be sincere? You would think that love is you know, such a high emotion and affection that it's always going to be good. But he says not all love is love. And he qualifies it by saying true love must be sincere. So what is a sincerity in love? Sincerity in love is actually being truthful. It's being faithful. It's being devoted. It's heartfelt. And the most important thing that Paul brings up out of our love is love actually takes action. Love isn't just a bunch of words, nice sayings. Love actually goes and does something for somebody. Okay? So love is a verb, is Paul's main point. He talks about a love being sincere. Now, where have you seen this type of love? Have you experienced sincere love from someone? Yes. Where it's not just about what they say, but you actually feel it, you experience it. The reality of love is not just a bunch of flowery words and they go away. Well, all of us know that from the Bible that God is this type of love. God loves us sincerely. When he loves us, it's truthful. When he loves us, he's devoted to love. When he loves us, it's faithful, hesed love. He loves us in a way that we can actually experience it, and he actually takes action when he talks about love. It's not just a bunch of words. He actually does something. What did God do for us in love? Something that we couldn't do for ourselves. So, let's look at 1 John 4. Move on past that. Uh, 1 John 4, 8 through 10. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might, have, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. So God shows us his love and sincerity. It's sincere love. It's not just a bunch of words. He actually did something. What did God do? It says he gave, okay, it says God showed his love among us, right? There was a demonstration of love so that we could actually see it experience it and see the reality of God's love. So when we say, does God love us? What do we do? Bam! Yeah. 
We turn to the cross, right? God actually did something. What did he do? He gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. You want to know what love is? Here's the prime example of what love looks like. God's love is sincere. In other words, it's an action that follows up all the words. Okay? So think about that for a second. Think about how you love. Does action follow your words? Or is it a lot of just verbiage, right? So let's think a little bit about what is insincere love. Well, love is sincere, there's some love that's insincere, right? What does insincere love look like? Insincere love is a love that is deceitful. It's not the truth, it's actually a lie. Okay? Well, how when can love lie? Well, I don't know, hopefully none of you have experienced this, but you know, there's, have you ever seen the, the, the songs that say, will you still love me in the morning? Have you ever heard verses like that? <laughs> will you still love me in the morning? Well, you know, you first thing you hear a verse like that from a song, it's like, what are you talking about? We used to love me in the morning. Well, the reference is, what? What happens? Two people meet somewhere, you know, and in the evening when things are dark and romantic, you know, and the woman says, John, do you love me? And he says, of course I love you, <laughs> right? And they spend the night together. It's called a one-night stand for those of you, you know, that aren't educated. They spend the night together, and then in the morning, the sun came up, everything's bright, and she's kind of sleepy and, you know, wakes up and says, John, do you still love me? Oh, I got to go to work. I'll call you later. <laughs> okay? Maybe I won't call you later. I'll text you. I'll text you. Okay? That, that is what's called deceitful love. That is not sincere love. That is deceit. It's a lie. You say stuff out of convenience because you want something out from the other person, and bam, it's out there. Okay? Another way to describe insincere love is that it's two-faced. Right? You have one face for one occasion, another face for another occasion. Right? When you need them, you put on a good face. Ah, oh, you know, I love you. Do this for me. Do that for me. And then when they're needy, you have a different face. You have a busy face, okay? Can't go there. Sorry. You know, I'll I, I help you next time. God's point is sincere love shows up. Not once in a while, but consistently, okay? Another example of deceitful love is hypo hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? A person that's a hypocrite is an actor, okay? They put on a mask, and they're acting. They're putting on a show for a little while, okay? So young ladies that aren't married here, I always caution them, be aware of young men that are very good actors, right? They can act a part, okay? They can take you out to dinner, show up in a nice car, put on a nice face, you know, maybe even do some makeup in this day and age, right? They say, wow, that guy is something else, you know? That's one face. Next time, you see a completely different face towards you. They ignore you. They pretend you don't even exist. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened to this guy? <laughs> he had one face one day. He had another face another day. That is what's called insincere love. Love that is not sustaining. Love that is not real. It's temporary. It's deceitful. It's, it's half-hearted. That's not the type of love we're talking about. The type of love that God says is sincere is the love that we know, the prime example, is God's love for us in Christ Jesus. 
again. John 3.16, what does it say? Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible that all of you have memorized. Amen? Amen. Everybody memorize John 3.16? Here we go. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There you go, John 3.16. The key word, did we do it right? Let's see. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The key word there is gave, right? Love did something. God does something. And that's why we say the love of God is sincere. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says, love never fails. Love never fails. It just keeps coming at you, coming at you, and coming at you. Even if we are not perfect, even if we make mistakes, even if we are sinners, God's love keeps coming after us. It does not fail. It's not conditional on how good we are or how, what good things we've done. It's just not like that. God's love is a pursuing, devoted love that's sincere, that's going to come after us and come after us. No matter what the condition of our heart is, where we have been, he doesn't ask any questions. He just throws his love on us, and he lavishes his love on us, and he gives us the best in love. You know why? Because he loves us. Can I get an amen? That is sincere love. And that is what we have the privilege of experiencing and knowing. It's amazing, isn't it? And that's why we worship God, because it's the most amazing love in the universe, and we got it. We got to taste it. It's an amazing thing. So Paul talks about love must be sincere. He's talking about the context of the body of Christ. Okay, remember, we are the members of the body of Christ, and each of us have a special function, right? And so he's talking about the church. In the church, just like I described, love should be what? Sincere, like that, right? Giving unconditionally, not expecting something back, right? Loving and continuing to love not only in words, right? I mean, the classic example is someone says, I need help, okay? And you say, I'll pray for you. Well, I have a flat tire. Well, I'll pray for the tire. Well, praise is important, right? I mean, prayer is important. Prayer works. But a tire is sitting right in front of your face, and you, the person is trying to do a jack. I'll pray for the jack, you know? Come on, at some point, love actually has to say, I'm busy, i got to go somewhere, but you know what? I'm going to do this thing. Let's get that jack. Let's pump it up, you know? I mean, that's actually happened right in the parking lot. One of our church members, like, car's not working. Praise Lord, we have the body of Christ. Everyone has a diverse gift, so we have some mechanics in the church. You should get to know the mechanics in the church, just FYI, okay? And they're like, I can do this. I'll help you out. They spend a couple of hours, go get some parts and fix stuff, you know? Love is practical. Love that is sincere is action-oriented. So Paul talks about, okay, love is sincere, but let me give you four examples, specific examples of what actually love looks like as well. So he's going to do one, two, three, four. Here we go. Number one, it hates what is evil. Hates what is evil. Now, hate is a very strong word, okay? When you see evil in the world, what is your reaction to the evil? Well, that's too bad. I'm glad that's not me. I mean, that's one reaction, right? 
The reason true love, sincere love, hates evil because evil and sin is so destructive. The wages of sin is death. When you let evil keep going on and on and on, guess what happens? Stuff dies. People die. You cannot let evil just go on and pretend it doesn't, it's not there. If it's, love is sincere, you confront evil, right? You identify it, you call it out, okay? You weed it out, and you exterminate it, right? You can't have a blasé attitude about evil. Sincere love hates evil. Can't stand it, and it's going to do something about it. And that's what God says love looks like. It absolutely hates evil. So when there is evil in the world, when there's evil in society, do you just leave it be, or do you actually go and do something about it? Take action against that evil. And we talked about earlier about America being this great nation. When there's evil out there, like you know, Nazi Germany and you know, the imperialism in Japan, we always have a choice when we're confronted with evil. The first is, I hope I don't have to get engaged. But you know what? At some point, we cannot let evil just continue to go. You have to step in and say reluctantly, I'm stepping in, and it may risk my life, but I'm willing to step in in the gap and confront that evil and do something about it. It takes great courage, but that courage is also love. And if we don't do that, people that we love ultimately become hurt, right? And so the Bible reminds us, love always protects The reason loving people have to confront evil is because if you let that evil go, sooner or later, it's going to grow and it's going to come get you. And some people have to stand in the gap, sacrifice their lives if necessary, confront the evil, and stop it. And if we pretend to be sincere lovers and we let that evil go and go and go and go, and we turn a blind eye to it, that's what... That's how you get people like Hitler, okay? Hitler was not the, the destructive force that he was in Germany in the beginning. He rose up from the ranks, from a low officer all the way up to the supreme commander of the nation. You know why that happened? People saw the evil in him, especially the lots of Christians in Germany, okay? They just did this. I hope it goes away. I hope this is a fad. You know, I hope this doesn't last too long. I know it's wrong, but I'm not personally willing to do anything about it because the risks are too high. It's better to go with the crowd. Okay, we just go with the crowd and maybe someone will take care of it. Someone other than me will take care of it. And all the leaders in Germany, one after another, that's what they did. They ignored the problem. They ignored the evil that was right in their face as Christians, as believers, who are sincere lovers, took evil and let it go. And you know what happened the rest of the story. I mean, they killed millions of innocent Jews, the ravages on not only other countries, which, you know, is crazy if you look at what happened in World War II, 
But the ravages done in Germany itself and its own people, just horrific, the amount of suffering the Germans went through. Sincere love hates evil. Does not like mediocrity. Does not say it's okay. The other thing is, what if someone that you love is engaged in evil? One of your children, one of the people that you love, one of your friends is doing things that you know are obviously evil and sinful. What do you do then? Do you hope for the best? Say, I hope he'll stop that one day. I know that's wrong for him. I know that's really bad for him. But, I, you know, it's kind of awkward for me to bring it up. Right? I don't want to be in a difficult conversation with somebody. What is sincere love? It says it hates evil. Why? Eventually, if we let that evil go in our child's life or in our friend's life, it's going to eventually have a consequence, right? So what God asks us to do is to instruct, is to teach, correct, rebuke, right? And train in righteousness. If you see someone, especially in the body of Christ, obviously sinning and it comes to your knowledge, what is the responsibility of the body of Christ? If you get a wound in your arm and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, do you say, well, I hope that goes away someday. You know? Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. you wake up the next morning, it got a little bigger. Okay. Oh, I'm sure that's going to go if I just pray a little harder for it. It'll, you know. And then your whole arm is infected and we're talking about amputation and weird stuff, right? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. How did that happen? It's because when that evil penetrated your body, that the virus or whatever, the bacteria came in, we chose to do nothing about it, just ignored it. Oh, it'll go away, you know, autoimmune, maybe it'll take care of it. Not really. So the loving thing to do in the body of Christ is if you see one of your brothers and sisters sinning, okay, what do you do? Huh? Pray for him. <laughs> Pray for I hope the evil goes away in your life. The loving thing to do is to lovingly go to them and say, brother and sister, I love you so much. I care for you. What you're doing is really, really hurting you. And there's going to be consequences in your life, in your marriage. This cannot go on, right? Is there anything I can do to help you? I will pray for you, but is there something I can do? Take you to counseling or anything. I'm willing to do anything for you because I love you. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're my brother or sister. I'm willing to step in for you. That is sincere love. That is the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do isn't, oh, well, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about it. Of course it's embarrassing. Sin is always embarrassing. No one wants to talk about sin. You think it's a happy subject? You'd rather talk about some fun topic, right? But that's why he calls us into the body of Christ so we can lovingly have those conversations. Your friends out in the world, they're not going to come to you as much and say, ooh, you better stop that. I know that's bad for you. Right? They're going to encourage you to go the other way. Hating evil means that we choose to do something about it. To Stand up for unrighteousness. Stand up for injustice. Do you see something that's 
unjust, where children and the weaker members of society get abused by the stronger. That's called injustice, where the strong take advantage of the weak and take them and possess them and, and, and corrupt them. That's injustice. Shall we turn a blind eye to that too? Because that, that's a tough conversation to have. Paul says, if you want to talk about sincere love, hate evil, which means do something about it. Don't just let it go. Okay? So that was the first one. Next one, <clears throat> cling to what is good. <laughs> Clinging to what is good, right? Why is that so hard to do? Because the world is full of evil and bad influences, right? So it's hard to hang on to the good because the, the bad, the ugliness of the world just overwhelms us, okay? And floods us with all that negativity, bad information, lies, right? Entanglements, and tries to draw the affection of our hearts away. So he says, fight hard to cling to what is good. And earlier in, in Romans 12, he said in Romans 12 too, this is what he said, if you recall, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This world is going to entice us and drag us away from the goodness, okay? Don't conform to that any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, as long as we're soaked in the influences of the world, okay, we're going to act and think and have value systems like the world, and we're going to think that's the truth. But what he's saying is, as Christians, we need to cling to the good and fight for the good and, and, and help us ourselves not to be influenced by the things of the world. Nowadays, everybody has iPhones and all sorts of gadgets, even if you don't want, you get constantly bombarded from the things in the world, right? It's not like you even ask for it, it just kind of shows up in all sorts of places. So we got the constant bombarding, and so when he says, cling to what is good, fight for what is good, make choices, say no to a few things that you know are not going to be good influences for you, right? And cling to the things that are good. There's a, there's a verse that many of you know in Philippians 4, 8, Right, what does it say? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, as opposed to what? The lies of the world. Okay? Most of the stuff you see out there in media is actually lies. That's what this is suggesting. Okay? Do you believe that? Anything you see and hear out there, do you just accept it as, whole, as truth? No. Because the, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and he is set up to lie. And we're going to receive all those lies. So whatever is true... The Bible would be a good place to get some truth. Can I get an amen? amen? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, okay? Think of the high things, not the lowly things, right? Noble actions, whatever is right, okay? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable in action and in word. Anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Occupy our minds with the things that please God and make choices. Cling to the things that are good for you, and turn away from the things that are bad influences. Amen. And that's what someone that is sincere in love does. They fight for the good. And what kind of people do you hang out with? Earlier, Sister Suzette talked about influences. 
Many of you, maybe like me, when I was single and I wasn't married, I had lots of friends. Uh, what kind of friends did I have? You may wonder. I had soccer buddies, and then I had drinking buddies, and then I had karaoke buddies. Okay? I had three groups of friends. You know, singing, drinking, and sports. I mean, what more do you need, right? So after I got married, guess what happened? No friends. <laughs> My friends would call me, Steve, hey, you want to come out? Can't do it. You know what's interesting about marriage is this. It's not I can't do it. I don't want to do it, right? I, I don't even want to do it. I mean, I, I just love doing that kind of stuff. And something happens when you get married, you get in a covenant relationship with one another, and you lose the taste for stuff like that, right? Your taste buds change from the passions of the world to what? Spiritual taste buds, like praising, <laughs> worshiping. You know, I bought a guitar and, and I started singing praise songs instead of karaoke songs, right? I'm still good at karaoke, okay? Don't, don't get fooled. But I haven't sung those in a while, you know? I mean, they're okay once in a while, just for fun, but really, my heart and passion is to worship God. I love Sunday worship. It's like one of the best times in my life. You know? And I'm sure you like that too, right? Do you love worship? Amen. Do Eric and the praise team do a great job? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> and so, as Christians, we need to make choices about our friends. Are your friends helping you to be a stronger Christian? Are your friends dragging you away from being a stronger Christian? There are only two types of friends. People that get you closer to God and people that draw you away from God. And we always say, if you're going to date somebody, what kind of criteria do you have for dating somebody? Is the person you're dating going to do what? Get you closer to God or draw you away from God? There's only two types of dates, okay? Two types of boyfriends and girlfriends, okay? One that makes you stronger in the Lord. Let's worship together. Let's praise together. We're doing this God thing together. And another type of friend who says, Eh, that church ain't happening. It's so boring. Let's go do some. Go to the park. You know, go do something else. Eh, okay, I love you. Forget church. Forget worship. And eventually what happens? The person that was doing fine spiritually because of their love, right, starts declining in their faith. And before too long, you don't see them at church. You know, what happened to their faith? They pick the wrong influences in their lives, and they started drawing them away. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you're single, I pray that you fall in love with a Christian. If at all possible, as Paul would say. <laughs> you know, it's not always possible. Because love is, you know, love is so dynamic and mag you know, magnetic. You sometimes can't help yourselves. But if at all possible. So there's a verse that I want to share with you. Next. Thank you. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So think about who you're hanging out with. It makes a difference, right? Especially your best friends, the people that are close to you. And I, I know most of your lives, how it's operating, and I know that most of you have already surrounded yourselves with good, solid Christian friends that are good, solid influences on you that draw you closer to God. Can I get an amen? And we have a few of the other friends. You know why? We want to witness to them, right? So, so the, for Christians, we don't want to have all Christian friends, right? We want to have a few 
People on the fringe, they're a little, you know, sketchy. Why? Because we want to love on them and bring them into the kingdom. But then we don't want to be influenced by them, right, and do what they want to do. We want to slowly nudge them, you know, draw them into the kingdom, invite them to food fellowship. Do you like international food? Come to ICF the first Sunday of every month and you will get food. Oh, people like that, right? To draw them to our surroundings where we worship, we pray, we praise, it'll be good for them. Instead of us going to their parties, their drinking joints, whatever. You, amen? All right, next Paul says, be devoted to another, one another in love. Love takes work. It takes devotion. It takes energy. So what this is, a simple idea, Paul says, invest in your key important relationships. If you're married, do you go on dates? Can I get an amen? <laughs> if you're married, go on dates. Be devoted to the person that God has placed in your life. Be dedicated to them, focused on them, and study about love. There are lots and lots of Christian books about how to love better, right? Oodles and oodles of books. You can study, be a love expert, be a lover. Right? Be devoted. Be a student of love. Okay? Be the, the best that you can be at loving the most important person in your life. Make that your hobby, your preoccupation, your, your thoughts, day and night. Right? And that's what Paul is talking about. Be devoted. Because what? He says, love is sincere means that you have to put work into it. It takes action. So what are you willing to do this week, brothers and sisters in the Lord, husbands and wives, to invest in your marriage. Hmm? <laughs> Change a diaper. Okay, that, okay. Moving right along. <clears throat> All right. So the last one is uh, is honor one another above yourselves. Well, this is kind of obvious. Love is sincere. The definition of love is sacrificial love in the manner of Christ. Right. So love that is sincere is not selfish. It's not always self-seeking. It's thinking about the needs of the other, right? Quite simple, it's a simple idea, right? Do you think about my needs, what I need to do, you know, help me, do this for me, or do you think about what about the other person's needs, right? Okay? That's basic. It's called agape love. Unconditional, selfless, generous, giving love. Put others above yourselves instead of you trying to step on other people and, you know, with, with a pride saying, I'm better than you guys. Okay, serve me, honor me. Instead of doing that, do the reverse, right? No matter what the condition of the person is, whether they're rich or poor or don't have good clothes, doesn't matter. When they come into the church, the body of Christ, what do we do? We honor the parts of the members of the body that, the, that, the, that are least honorable. We give them special honor. Remember? That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, right? So if there's anyone in the church who is weak, who, who needs help, who you know, needs support and love and care and doesn't feel loved, those are the people we go to in the body of Christ and show them special honor, right? So they, they will feel special in the body of Christ. That's the idea that Paul has in mind here. And so let's look at finish today with a verse... Philippians 2, 3, 5, this is the famous kenosis chapter where Jesus empties himself 
to the point of death and the cross, and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The attitude of Christ Jesus is to look at the needs of others and sacrifice himself for them. The greatest need the others in the world had was dealing with their own sin. They couldn't get right enough before God through their works, so Jesus comes, and whatever we're lacking, Jesus fills. That's the life of Jesus. Whatever you're lacking, I will fill. If you're lacking health, I will fill that. If you're lacking bread, I will fill that. If you're lacking relationship, I will fill that. If you're lacking righteousness because of your sinfulness, I will fill that. Jesus spent his whole life filling up the needs of others. That was the definition of his life. So Paul says, love must be sincere in the manner of Christ. In other words, put love into action. And the action that he's talking about is to lift other people up, value them, respect them, and serve them. And that's what the body of Christ does. And that is the image of the body of Christ, the church, that Paul had in mind when he wrote this letter to the Romans. And so at ICF, there's a lot of love here. Can I get an amen? amen. Many of you are well-seasoned in practice. It's sincere loving. Loving isn't just lip service, but you actually go do something about it, right? With your hands and feet. Prime example, I love food fellowship. Why? It's an opportunity to serve, right? How great is that? It's practicing giving to those that don't have. My vision for food fellowship is actually that we eventually expand it to where people off the street can come and have a meal, right? There are a lot of hungry people out there. You would be surprised at the percentage of Americans. We talked about how great this country is. The, the number of kids and adults in America who don't eat every day, you will be shocked. And even across the street over there, at that apartment complex we like to visit, there may be people that don't have a square meal. Right? And we are strategically located a few blocks literally a block away from them, right? Wouldn't it be great if we had food fellowship and we opened it up to people and they walked in and they ate before we did? Not just an idea. Don't jump, jump on me at once. <laughs> but what if, just what if, okay, we prepared all this food, the table is full, okay, and we invited people over and see who comes. I don't know how many will come, right? We say, Visitors first. Sorry, Mr. Dunn. <laughs> Visitors first, right? And they go to the line, they get their food, and let's see what happens, right? As far as I remember, when Jesus did that thing in serving others with five loaves and two fish, he had leftovers, right? I just wonder what would happen if we served in that way, what might happen? If you run out of food, then you can come see me, <laughs> okay? But, but anyway, I think, that, I think in terms of visioning, instead of expanding, right, what we're, what we're doing, I think we should 
maybe try some of those things one of these days, right? Amen. To sacrifice practically in sincere love for the real needs of others that are right next door to us who are actually hungry. I think that would please the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us and the gift of your son Jesus. We experience your love every day. We think of your love every day. And we're amazed and blown away by your graciousness. <clears throat> we thank you, Father God, for reminding us that love must be sincere, that love is practical, love is a verb. It actually does something instead of talking about it all the time, that it hates evil, that it clings to the good, the honors those that, that need honoring. We thank you, Father God, for the reminder of how we are growing in love. We thank you for the church, the members in the body of Christ who are so faithfully serving you and, and loving you and loving others. We ask that our church here may be a, a shining example of the kingdom of heaven on earth and how we share our lives and how we support and love on each other. We thank you, Father, for giving us the capacity to love. At one time, we were more selfish unto ourselves. But you're teaching us how to love more and more, and we enjoy the freedom and the liberty that comes from that. We thank you, Father God, for increasing our faith each week, each day. Uh, we desire to be fully mature in the image of Christ, and we ask that, that you'll continue to bless us as we grow as followers of Jesus. We pray for our community. We pray for those that have needs. Help us to be sensitive to those needs. Help us to be there to support and love on them. Uh, we are uh, worshiping here at Interfaith, which is a service community that are caring for the needs of others. And we ask that you give us opportunities to find ways to participate in that good work as well. We thank you, Father God, for loving us and blessing us in your amazing way. And we love you back. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.